Okay, here we are on January 8, 2015. Oh, I just put 2014 in the archive name. I'll have to change it when I get done. Um, and we're talking about the book Rivers of Time by Al Sprague de Camp, a little nine-story anthology of hunting for prehistoric animals, mostly dinosaurs. Uh, so, um, here at the Science Fiction Club meeting. And... Uh, I'll let people start talking about the book, and I'll chime in here whenever. Well, this is Sherry. This was on my list of favorites, so obviously I liked it. I would not have recommended it for the group because I'm expecting maybe people won't like it as much as me. I just thought it was it was charming. It was a light read. I liked the level of detail about the dinosaurs. I liked the little details like the fact that he took a pole back because there weren't enough saplings to make poles out of, stuff like that. The repetition of the rules and some of the stuff got a little tedious, but I suspect these stories were all published separately rather than in one compilation, so that's probably why that was done. I really like the main character. Uh, as far as the hunting goes, I, I am definitely not uh, a hunter. I don't like hunting much. I, don't, I understand that some people do it for food, but it, it kind of bothers me that people enjoy doing it. Um, so enough said on that, I guess. Well, I agree about the hunting part of it. I'm not into sports at all, so I just kind of glossed over that part. I think the one story that I liked was the big splash, because the motive of that was not to hunt, but to um, explore. And, of course, both the preachers got their comeuppance. <laughs> so, and then there was the other story about Oh, no, that wasn't the preachers. That was a scientist. Sorry about that. But the the other story that I liked was the one about the preachers who got their comeuppance in the end. And uh, those are the two that stuck with me. The other ones just kind of passed me by. I just kind of read them and said, oh, yeah, well, you know, whatever. And that was it. Yes, I uh, thought this was an easy read. And I liked the book mildly. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't put it on my best list, any of my best lists. But one thing that I was interested in, thought was pretty neat, in order to not make a mistake and change something in history and screw all of the history up, or all of us up, they went back to way back before man exists. And then that way, they couldn't do anything that would uh, upset, upset history. They wouldn't meet their own grandfather and kill him or something like that, you know. Well, I liked it. Uh, I thought the stories were interesting. I liked the, the, the detailed description of the of the dinosaurs, of the wildlife, you know, when the, each time they went back, they made describe the environment. And, you know, uh, Mr. Rivers had a, a considerable knowledge of the dinosaurs and, and the other types of um, fauna. So I, I, I found, that, found that to be very interesting. I liked him. I, li- I liked his Aussie accent and his vocabulary. I thought that was quite cute, and his relation with his partner, the uh, Raja, I thought that was interesting too. So I thought it was a very enjoyable read, personally. I had read it before and had forgotten quite a bit of it, so I enjoyed rereading it. I also uh, like the reader in the accent that he used. I don't know if it's really his accent or he did that, but it was really made the book 
uh, more pleasant and interesting to listen to. Well, I enjoyed it uh, a fair bit. I uh, just kind of sped past the hunting parts because, I mean, as soon as the first story opens, he talks about what kind of gun you need and how you have to shoot some of uh, the dinosaur or the elephant or whatever right through the heart in order to get it, you know, to kill it for sure. And and in every story, even the one, you know, the big splash, you know, he had at least one scene and usually two where the animals get shot and they, you know, and they, they're not dead. He mentioned this several times where the reptiles don't know they're dead and so they keep thrashing about or whatever, even after they've been, sh- you know, more, even after a, a mammal would be totally motionless. And, uh, and uh, you know, they come, the rest of it. But I uh, enjoyed, and the main reason I wanted to read it, because I liked, I wanted to hear the descriptions of the different eras, the scenery, the landscape that was around, the kinds of plants and animals that were there. That's why. That's the only reason I read the the book, and I did get a lot out of that, and I didn't get a lot of enjoyment out of that. And also, my favorite story was the big splash because they went back to see the KT event, and they got out just in time. You know, it was the best story, um, and. Um, so that uh, that really was the standout story. I liked the other ones quite a bit. You know, the first one um, with the guy who kept shooting even after he was told not to, and then came back, tried to go back in time to uh, kill Raj and uh, Rivers. Uh, that was a good one too. I thought it was. It was. They were all pretty good. I liked them all to some extent, but the big splash really was the, the standout. Um, I'm, I have a fairly mixed um, reaction to the book. Um, surprisingly, I don't have a problem with it because it was short stories, which is unusual for me because I really don't care much for short stories. But I thought them being tied together the way they were, it didn't bother me like it would if it was just piecemeal stories. <clears throat> um, one of the things that um, I thought was really interesting as a sort of stepping back from it as science fiction was that um, in many genres you will find this kind of story where it's being told at a place and time different from the time that the story takes place and often it's told um, in a drinking or social situation so for example one of the one of the ones I'm thinking about is a set of stories called Tales from the White Heart and I think those might be science fiction I can't remember for sure but then there's also one of my very favorite humor authors, P.G. Woodhouse, has a whole set of stories called the Mulliner stories, which are in the very same kind of format. And so I kind of like that kind of story in and of itself. But I wasn't that thrilled with these stories. I didn't finish the book. I have had the day, you wouldn't believe, where I thought I was going to have all day to read. And what I ended up with was zero time to read all day long. Um, in fact, I'm really lucky I'm here tonight. So, um, I, I really haven't finished it, so there are some stories that I haven't had a chance to finish. But, having said that, I thought they were very formulaic in a way, and I didn't really appreciate things like the guy being an Aussie, partly because I was almost really offended, and probably more because it's looking back, most of those stories were written in the 50s, and, you know, they were just really, uh, 
prejudiced against women. I was really kind of offended by that to a certain extent. Not enough to get huffy or anything, but just, you know, it was like grown. And um, so, you know, it wasn't the best, but on the other hand, I'm glad I read it. I had read at least some of the stories before many years ago, and I would really, um, I don't think I have read the one, at least one or two of them are fairly new stories. Like, I think they were written... Mm, maybe I read they were written in like the 90s. Does anybody remember? Yeah, uh, first of all, Tales from the White Heart was Arthur C. Clarke. Those were science fiction. And I think I read them, but I don't remember them very well. So maybe that means they either I was just not in the mood or they were too light for me to get anything out of or something. I don't know. But Clarke's one of my favorite authors, so maybe I'll have to go take another look at them. But. Yeah, some of these were, if you read to the very end, uh, there's a page at the end of the, after the stories where he talks, where the different publishing, one was published in Asimov's, or at least, I think two maybe, and one or two were published in Analog, and some of them were from the early 90s, as a matter of fact. I don't remember the details of which ones were which, but some of them were a good deal older than that. Uh, Jenny, I saw your hand up a couple times. You want to try it again? Hi, Sherry. Actually, I did do a text chat, but I don't know if it came through or not. Um, yeah, I did enjoy the book. I liked it. I thought it was very clever. Um, the time travel, safari time travel, the tone was so believable. I thought, well, isn't there one down the street, a time travel safari? It was very convincing. Um, I was. I didn't um, appreciate, you know, a lot of the um, gore. I found my, that turned me off a bit. Um, I thought some of the concepts were really clever. I liked the way the um, space-time forces kept order in the universe. Um, I, you know, there was some satire there, I guess, of uh, big game hunting. Um, what I found overall was that I will go back and reread the book because I really enjoyed the descriptions and um, all the information. But I found that, for, for me at least, the entertainment value was somewhat lacking. I'm not sure why. Maybe because of... Um, Maybe because the style, the writing, I don't know why. I do want to go back and read it, but I would start setting aside time to read the book, and I would just fall asleep. But um, I'm still glad I got a chance to read this book. I thought it was very amusing. Do you guys think that the author um, likes hunting or dislikes hunting? Because I could see it either way from reading this book. I couldn't really tell. Well, I can't tell if... if the author likes it or not, but I will say that I liked the book. I wasn't really entertained, but I also, like a lot of us, read it for the description and the. I like, you know, how he described the different eras and um, the animals and stuff. Also, um, I think I enjoyed it because it was a very light read. Which is good, because some of the other books I'm reading for some of the other book clubs are not so light. So I had a chance to sit back and say, cool, I don't have to think, really. I can just read and, and uh, enjoy the descriptions. And, and the author really did a good job at describing things. Um, I kind of passed over the gun deals, too. I wasn't quite interested in that. Um, but I love the the dinosaurs and <laughs> and how and I think my favorite story too was the big splash um, 
And I also liked that one of the my favorite parts too was I think it was. Um, oh, in the big splash where they're getting in, and that that um, dinosaur jumps in with them, <laughs> and then uh, that one other story. I think there was the story after that. Can't remember what it's called, but the one where. Um, the guy's trying to feed him apples, and he just grabs the bag, and he says, Okay, okay, let go. I, I'll give you the bag of apples. It was so funny. Yeah, that was the mislaid Mastodon. Um, I don't know if he liked hunting or not. If I would have bet, I think he might not, because he made he, he really satirized, you know, some of these barbarian, you know, the guy, the barbarian hunter with the bow, and... You know, and that's what a real man does. He, you know, he, he, you know, made this. You know, the the guys, the father and son. You know, the guy who was like just a caricature of a he-man hunter type. You know, from the south. You know, from Texas, and I don't know. Um, he may have just been having a lot of fun. It's you know, you can't always tell with a good author whether his opinions are are his. You know whether the opinions he expresses in the book are his own or not, um, but uh, he certainly made a lot of fun of some of the real, you know, strong hunter types that he had in the book. I don't know about the author, but I thought the protagonist in the book, and I forget his name, uh, appreciated big game hunting, and so he was taking people there for big game hunting, and when they killed something and brought back. A souvenir that was okay with him, but when one of the people that he took up started killing one after the other just for the thrill of killing, he was not happy with that. I was going to say too that um, I think maybe it's not that he liked or disliked hunting. Well, no, let me let me rephrase that. I think he perhaps admired people who are clean hunters and um, reasonable hunters, but he did a tremendous job of satirizing people who are irresponsible hunters of several different kinds, including people who were there just as dilettantes and not really want to be hunters, just going to say they'd been. And he did also make a lot of fun of the woman, the animal rights activist woman, who went along and tried to scare away the prey, you know, the, uh, the animals that they were going to shoot. So, uh, you know, as I said, you can't, it's, it can be hard to tell, you know, what an author really thinks. Unless, you know, he's wearing it on his sleeve, as some authors do. But this guy, I can't really tell. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking also of, um, of that animal rights person. That was interesting. And he did kind of satirize a situation where one of the preachers got killed. And he said something about, oh, it would be awfully hard to bring a jury back to, <laughs> to them, whatever era they were in and prove that there was a murder. <laughs> it just, you know, you kind of have to smile at that because he is kind of poking fun at that kind of situation, not just the, the situation in the story, but also, you know, think of the whole judicial system and how would you explain stuff going on in, in uh the different eras, if you can't prove that it happened. Hi, this is Jenny. Um, yeah, you could say maybe he was satirizing just macho values in a way. Um, but I think in terms of hunting, I think that I got the feeling he actually did like to hunt himself. But he had, you know, the author, but he had a concept of what was sporting and what was not sporting. And um, 
then I think one of the funny moments when we're talking about you know, people being more dangerous than dinosaurs, when the guy went back against all advice to get his wallet that he had lost, that was so irrational and but somehow believable. And in doing that and going back without a thousand year gap, I guess, um, you know, of course he was disintegrated by the space, the um, orderly forces in the universe. I, I remember that part. That stuck in my mind. So this book will really linger and I will reread it. Um, I know that I read that this story, that this, this series of stories started because of Ray Bradbury's story of the Sound of, Th a Sound of Thunder and where um, someone steps on a butterfly and, you know, all kinds of chaos develops. Now, I haven't read that for like maybe 40 years. I don't, I think that, I mean, Ray Bradbury is kind of such a um, wonderful writer. Uh, actually, he made up that story about losing his wallet. Uh, that was in the first story that I mentioned. All he wanted to do was go back to April 23rd, the day before the party shows up, so he could shoot uh, Rivers and Araj. And that he, he only made up that story about losing his wallet so that he could get the time. This was before they uh, were quite so careful, apparently. This was the first trip, or one of the first trips. It was the first story. I think it might have been uh, the first trip. And uh, so he, he just made up that story about losing his wallet, and then he got uh, disintegrated when he went back and tried and got too close to himself and tried to prevent the team from coming back, which they'd already done. So that was, a, that was a pretty good story, actually. And I have always been interested in stuff like the space-time continuum and stuff like that, or time, whatever. That reminds me of, um, what was that story? What was that one that we read? Um, Blackout by, um, oh, and it was, I think I read Blackout, but we read... We read something, and I forgot who this author is. I bet Sherry knows. No, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I'll come in also. That what I thought was interesting also was what is justification or, you know, for going back and ki and hunting back there because the animals were, were already extinct. So it doesn't matter. It, it, there was no danger of of harming the uh, you know the species as such. While in the present day world, and if the book it was written, it's interesting because it was written back in the 1950s, there were still quite a bit of um, areas of, with wildlife, but according to what he was describing it, most of the wild places were no longer no longer existed, and and the few areas where animals still live were on preserves where, where hunting could not be done. So there was no harm from the point of view of endangering the species by going back and doing the hunting. Yeah, that, that's what kind of made me think that he might not like hunting because he made a point of saying in the present day world there's not any animals left to hunt because people just, you know, destroyed them all. Um, I looked up that book, uh, Leela, and I should have known who it was because it's Connie Willis that uh, wrote Blackout. That's right, it was. And she wrote another book too. Um, but, um, you know, that's what I thought was interesting too when you, you bring up hunting. They kept saying... Oh, um, there's nothing to hunt in the present, which is interesting, because that's not true, is it? Well, he was taking liberties with what was the present. I mean, he was creating, I think from the writer's perspective, it was a future world where there was nothing left to hunt.
there's still a lot of hunting. You have a lot of deer hunting all over the, all, all over the United States. You have a, you know quite a large uh, group of people who are avid hunters. It's sad to say that there are preserves where you can just go up and pretty well shoot a tame animal too. Now that's terrible. I did not know that. That's awful. I think in Texas they, they have these big ranches where they have the different African species, lions and things, where you you know you, a hunter can go in and are pretty tame and they're very easy to, it's almost like shooting fish in a barrel. That's sad. That's like that one story, Um, I think it was just before the big splash um, where the guy, oh no, Maybe it was the big splash. That guy Todd, I think it was. Um, he was told not to go shooting, and all of a sudden they heard this bang, and he comes up, here's my trophy, and I remember the guy, the um, Rivers was, he didn't say anything, but they said that, the author said that he was thinking how unsporting it was because that particular dinosaur or whatever it was called was pretty stupid. I looked on Bard and this author has written a non-fiction about dinosaurs, I think, if I remember right. About uh, animals being pretty stupid. If you were able to go back into that time, none of the animals would have ever seen a human before, and so they would not have been uh, learn to be afraid of them and they probably would just stand there walk up to you and take a look at you and see what in the world they thought and then walk away but it would be easy to shoot an animal that had no experience with human beings yeah especially since they'd be so much bigger than a human being they wouldn't really be too concerned i don't know some of those animals in that book seem pretty ferocious <laughs> especially if they were protecting their their uh offspring or their mate or something but then some of them didn't seem to care what they protected here's some more meat you know it's dangerous so i i suspect you know a lot of them just were naturally aggressive how about the one with the car oh my gosh that was so funny but actually rivers mentioned that he mentioned that a lot of the in several different stories the fact that the animals were not accustomed to see humans and therefore uh, were not didn't have an extinct an instinctive fear of them, but at the same time he recognized that there were dangerous animals because every time they would go back he would be the first and Roger and Roger would be the first ones to go out with their guns just in case. Yeah, even though they weren't afraid, they some of the bigger ones might have seen people as potential food, so there was reason to be afraid of them. And Yelly, though that car was pretty funny. I think that was pretty satirical to illustrate just how clueless we are about, you know, what things might have been like back then to actually even consider taking that back. Wouldn't it be funny just to hear the sound of a dinosaur, like snorting or tooting or hooting or whatever? I uh, did like this book because of being able to go back and think about seeing the dinosaurs. My son has a set of 3D glasses that uh, makes a virtual world look very, very real, he tells me. And uh, I was thinking, boy, would I like to have a 3D glasses and be able to spend time in a virtual world, and I would want to go back and see the dinosaurs and all that time. I wouldn't care about going and seeing a bunch of 
large and stuff, but I would really like to walk among the dinosaurs with uh, in a real, real believable 3D world. So you would like to walk beside them and have them be bigger than you? That'd be kind of fun in a scary sort of way. I'd be definitely too much of a wimp to endure the hardship of, I don't know, the heat, the humidity, and just it just sounded pretty miserable. I noticed Carla's joined us. Hi, Carla. Yeah, I, I think I'd be scared to do that, too. But there have been computer animations where they've tried to theoretically create sounds that some of these dinosaurs might have made. And to me, it didn't seem like it would be what they said because it was it almost sounded like a a deer or something like that. And I thought, wait a minute, something that big wouldn't sound like such a wimpy animal. I mean, not, deer aren't wimpy, I'm sorry about that, but I mean... The sound would have to be much larger, I think, and the computer-animated ones just didn't sound big enough. There was that show called uh, Walking with Dinosaurs, and they put a lot of computer... I don't know if that's the one you're thinking of. I didn't see it, but I heard a good deal about it. It got quite a bit of publicity. I think it was on the Discovery Channel or the Discover Channel? Is that what it's called? I don't know. haven't heard about it for quite a while. I think back then they were doing more scientific stuff than they're doing now. It's just like Animal Planet used to do shows about animals, but I won't gripe about that any uh, on this show. But, um, yeah, I think they did quite a bit of experiments with computer simulations of the skulls and, you know, where the soft tissues might have been and what they might have sounded like, but I didn't actually uh, hear that show. May I just say, ladies, it's been a long time since we've outnumbered the guys. Did we really? <laughs> That's surprising. <laughs> I also wanted to mention the fact that actually there are places that they have simulations. If, if ever you get to New York and go to the Bronx Zoo, they have a safari where they actually have creations of dinosaurs in real life settings and you can hear them roaring and, and all. Yeah, I've seen those places advertised too, and I think they did, like Evan said, they they looked at the skull and, and the amount, you know, however they figure out what kind of noises they could possibly make. So I'm thinking they must be real, kind of realistic, even though they're huge animals, if their skull's really small and their larynx or whatever they have to make noises kind of small, maybe they do squeak and sound wimpier than we might expect. Well, hello, folks. I finally made it on. I don't know why, even with this new computer, I'm still having connection problems. I have quantum speed and everything else. Well, anyhow, I do happen to recall that Discovery Channel um, thing, and I was thinking, um, I wonder how they really did reproduce how those would sound. Um, It's sort of, I, I don't know, I didn't find it very believable. As far as the book is concerned, it was one of those, eh, you know, it, it was okay, but I, I wish that there wasn't such an emphasis on hunting the dinosaurs. Um, and as far as my favorite story, I think I like the one about the, the preachers, you know, the satanic one, um, the best. I like that one, and the one that they had Lamar, the animal rights um, person on there. And um, But I don't know, there was just too much just blowing off dinosaurs' heads and things like that to appeal to me. Um but I did find the, the time travel aspect of it fascinating. There was something about the time travel that I wanted to mention that, that to me was um, a flaw in the book. 
And that is that just because you um, didn't cause the extinction of a particular species of dinosaur doesn't mean that you could not have impacted the possibility of it influencing other species that are farther along the evolutionary pathway than the ones that were there at the time of the hunt. Yeah, I thought about that too, especially if if people leave evidence of their being uh, in that particular past era, how do you know that bacteria and stuff might not have affected the species that were there? Um, people that have died or have left stuff there or, um, you know, it, a lot of things could affect the future. And I think he was a bit short-sighted about that. Well, that was interesting, too. What was that one story that he that they actually could not shoot a certain dinosaur because its ancestor was something or other, and if you shot it, you might kill a bunch of things that weren't supposed to be killed? Do you remember that? That wasn't in this anthology, was it? Um... Yeah, he re- he he said something in here, and I don't remember what story it was in now, but it bothered it. It, um, I, it gave me some pause because he was talking about the bacteria, uh, you know, them being uh, going back in time to so long ago that the viruses and bacteria at the time wouldn't bother them. I wasn't sure how convinced I would be of that. Um, those viruses and bacteria certainly have evolved, but. You know, there were different ones back then that our immune system never encountered before. And it might not be quite as, you know, simple as that. There might be some serious virulent viruses that they, the animals, had immunities to because they grew up with them or they evolved with them. But we never encountered them before. So uh, the, the whole time travel party might have come down with some unknown disease and died within a few days. Uh, possibly, uh, if you were thinking, you know, more realistically. Yeah, I thought of that, too, and I thought, you know, they're trying not to bring things back with them, but a bug or something could have gotten into the um, time travel machine, a spider, who knows what. I think the author was really light on the science, with the exception of the actual dinosaurs and what was around during different periods. I don't think he wanted to bother too much with the other stuff, so he came up with some sort of kind of tried explanation and just didn't deal with it at all. That was a little bit disappointing. And speaking of dinosaurs, has anyone read Jurassic Park? I saw the movie, but I actually haven't read the book. No, I haven't seen the movie, nor have I read the book, but I have truly been thinking and thinking of doing it. I might do it. Um, the narrator did a really good job at pronouncing those names. I I did half and half. I read this story in Braille and um, on Bard, and I looked at those names, and I was like, woo! Yeah, I read Jurassic Park back in the 1990s, and I think there were two books in the series about that. And I think at some point I might have gotten the movie on DVS or gotten it off of uh, Blind Mice Movie Vault or something. I think it's up there. Um, the book was okay, but I remembered I, uh, a lot of it seemed to lead up to all the gross happenings, and you just, I don't know. 
it was a you know I was glad that I read the books, but I really don't remember a lot about them. <laughs> of course, it's been a long time ago. I think that um, I, I read the book too, the first one. I haven't read the second one, and um, I, I never find those books memorable. Is that Michael Crichton? I never can remember who wrote those. Hi, this is Jane. Yes, I read Jurassic Park pretty long time ago, and I really liked it. Um, Michael Crichton um, was. I think that was one of his best books, and I think one of the themes in there is, um, you know, how how strong nature is, and how how much you're tampering with it when you do something like bring back a dinosaur egg and hatch it in the current you know environment. So I really would recommend that book. I think it's one of his better ones. I don't like some of his later ones at all. Well, speaking of books, I guess we should begin to consider what we're going to be reading for next month. And I and I have a suggestion, but I don't know if you, you I don't know where I if I got it from one of your lists or maybe most people have already read it. But I have downloaded and and I'm ready to begin reading a book called Companions. Has anyone read it or know anything about it? I read it and I liked it when I read it. I've been trying to reread it and just never got to it. Um, I'd love it if they had a different narrator. <laughs> I think as Kristen Allison reads that one, I think it's part of a series that, that Tepper, uh, forget the first name of the author, her last, her last name is Tepper. She wrote a whole bunch of stuff, and this was, I think, part of a series. So, yeah, thank you for mentioning that one. I'm revisiting Incandescence by Greg Egan and finding it very interesting. I read it very quickly a couple of years ago and missed a whole bunch of stuff. And so I'm reading it slowly and having a grand time of it. There's a lot of detail in that one. And uh, so that's what I'm doing. I've also got some of his other books from Bookshares. Um, The first book in a series of three, which is called The Clockwork ship or the clockwork something I can't remember now what that um, it'll come to me but um, it's hard going once you get past the first couple of chapters I think I'm going to have to the clockwork rocket that's what it is um, I'm going to have to read it in braille because it's it it's pretty hard going you have to really work at it yeah Greg Egan's stuff I've read about five or six of his novels and I think he's extremely imaginative but very cerebral and heavy I like most of his work though I have issues with the, with the endings of some of his books I got some of them direct from him many years ago before I became a member of Bookshare and uh, he was because I could not find them anywhere and I was having trouble getting a hold of some of them and he I got his address I'm not sure how but he sent me some on disc and uh, but now I think Bookshare's got a lot of them, or if not all of them, on PQ. I've got to go up there and look now um, because some of these are in uh, uh, old formats. I'd have to convert them. And honestly, I don't know what I did with the discs anymore. Um, anyway, I've got copies of them, but uh, I'd like to get Bookshare Braille translated versions of them, uh, especially Permutation City and Quarantine and Distress, Diaspora, but uh, I hadn't heard of this new series that he's got, but I liked Incandescence quite a lot. It's a really good book, but it's all of his stuff is um, very 
um, well, I can't think of another word, cerebral, intellectual, but it's really imaginative and really grounded in pretty hard science most of the time. But if you like that sort of stuff, then Greg Egan is really, really good. Um, first of all, Deb, yeah, it was Michael Crichton that wrote Jurassic Park. I, I read it a long time ago, too, and really don't remember much about it. I, I guess it was probably okay. Um, what is Companions about, uh, Martin? And also, um, Evan, would you consider Peter F. Hamilton cerebral so I get a sense of what to expect from Egan? Thank you, Sherry. That was my question. Both of those questions were my question. <laughs> No, uh, not as cerebral as Egan, no. Uh, he's a little bit. I mean, he's very imaginative, too, but Egan is more cerebral. I have the um, the book number uh, that I could give to someone who they could, you know, maybe read a description of Bard. It has to do with with uh, with people going to a different planet, and I, th- I think there's some some aliens or something. I, I didn't quite get the, the complete thing, but it sounds like it could be very interesting. I don't know if Mary remembers it or not to be able to um, describe it. No, but I know I've got it on my um, hard drive, my external drive, because it was one that really was a favorite, even though I can't stand Kristen Allison. (laughs) All I remember is it's a very strange planet, kind of mysterious, and they aren't quite sure what they're getting into. But I I love the book, though. I was just glued to it. I've, I've been trying to get back to it and just haven't. So I would, if, well, I can go out to the Bard site and, and uh, look at it again if anybody's not out there. Hey, Mary, maybe it's on Bookshare, too. Who's the author? I'm not on there yet. Oh, oh, yeah, nobody's, nobody's uh, answered that. It's uh, Sherry S. Tepper. It's Sherry with an I. S-H-E-R uh, I think there's only one R too I can't remember for sure now Last name is T-E-P-P-E-R and didn't she write the one about Singer from the Sea somehow I think she did but I'm I'm probably not remembering right No, I think you're right and oh that was a good book it was, it was fabulous I wouldn't mind reading that again either um, <laughs> it's in Braille on Bard, but I don't think it's got an audio version at all. You'd have to read it in Braille or go to Bookshare and see if it's up there. You mean Singer from the Sea? Yeah, yeah. It's in Braille on Bard, but it doesn't have any um, DB um, audio version of it. I don't know if it's on Bookshare, as I said. I read it in Braille and paper a long time ago. Oh, man, what that book is one that I really, really liked. I might reread that. Hmm. Well, Companions is okay with me, just based on what we know so far, that she's written another book people really loved, and it sounds like Mary loved this one. And That sounds good to me, too. I have it on, I have it on my book part. Plus, I could bring the, bring the machine in and try to hold it close to the mic, microphone and, and, and let you hear the uh, description of it, or, you know, someone could just read it right off a of bard. I'm having trouble getting into Bard. You know, I think Bard is having issues, um, or at least it was, because I've been seeing emails about it. I went in uh, earlier this evening, just about just before coming in here, and I was able to. Uh, <laughs> I started copying the book, the, the the number of the book, and I have the book and the author, but I didn't I didn't select the rest of the description about it. 
So it was up a few about maybe a half an hour or hour ago. Yeah, I was on there right before I got off and signed into here. So yeah, but you know, it's sometimes can be hit and miss. I'm starting to sign on to it, so let me see if I can get in. Bookshare has the uh, has this book in um, on in publisher quality, and I can't read it because I have my control key down. I can't. Uh, I don't think it's going to let me. I can't hear uh, my voice while I've got this control key down and it's talking. The software. Uh, hold on here. Let me see. But it's got a good synopsis. There are three different planets. One's a jungle planet. That's as far as I got before I got an opening to talk. So, um, And the jungle planet, 11 explorers went missing on it. Uh, that's as far as I got. I think another one of the planet. the main planet is called Moss, M-O-S-S. Okay, it caught my attention. I vote for companions. I'm on Bard right now, if you give me another minute. I vote for it, too, since I have it already downloaded and ready to read. Did that just get put up on Bard lightly? It's been up on Bard for a long time. I think it's, it's the length of the book is 17 hours. Ah, we go from a short book to a long book. I love it. Yeah, it looks like the, the the three planets, jungle, stone, and moss. And uh, jungle was, uh, well, I mentioned that. Stone turned out to have the richest mineral ores of any planet discovered in a long time. But moss is the one where they find these dancing shapes of light, and they're convinced they're intelligent, and they're trying to figure out what they are. Um but three-quarters of the planet consists of these wind-shaped mosses. Sounds like we're going to have some exotic environments here and some interesting investigations and stuff like that. So it should be, uh, should be pretty good. I only read one other book by her called Grass, and I thought that one was pretty good. She's really good at describing environments and really making them stick in your mind. Um, so I think this, this sounds like it's going to be pretty good. Okay, I just looked up the date, and it'll be the 12th. Of February. Before Valentine's Day. Isn't that your anniversary, Evan? Or no? Um, I've got the book. It's read by Mary Kane. And unfortunately, my um, pause key won't work to activate the, um, the key so that I can read with both hands. Uh, it used to. <laughs> But it's not doing it now. Oh, and there's a do and there's a fleet of lost Earth ships on a plateau on this Moss planet. So there's more complications. This sounds like it might be really good. All right. So should we say that's going to be our book? Why not? It sounds like a good one. What do you guys think? I second that. I third it. Okay, then we are going to read for our next meeting, which will be on January uh, February twelfth. Uh, 2015, which gives us uh, five weeks to read the book, um, Companions by Sherry S. Tepper, that's S-H-E-R-I-S Tepper, T-E-P-P-E-R, available from Bard, and a publisher quality version from Bookshare, and I will, uh, I'll put all that in the newswire tomorrow. Okay, the book number on Bard is DB59249.